0: I have a surprise for you. Okay. You ready?
1: Yeah, I am ready. Uh, wow! You got me. This is a bracelet that says Olive Garden. I
0: made it, and look what mine says.
1: This says beads. Yours is breadsticks. Yeah, they're nice. friendship
0: bracelets. Yours is Olive Garden. Mine's breadsticks.
1: You got me a friendship <laughs> bracelet.
0: I made it. Olive Garden. I made it. Bre-
1: made me a oh, nice. Do <laughs> you need help? No, I'm not five. <laughs> Jeez.
0: <laughs> oh, and I made you this one, too. This one glows in the dark.
1: Ooh, glows in the dark. And this one says, this is the name of our podcast, Country Roads Creeps.
0: I took a picture, so you wow. can post it on Instagram for everyone to see.
1: I will. Yeah, I'll put that in. We actually, that'll be good because we don't actually, there's not that many pictures for our episode today, which is mass hysteria.
0: I'm so excited for this one.
1: So I did. I did a lot of research. I don't know how long it'll be, but we'll find out. I have a lot of stuff. I think I can probably get through it a little bit quicker than what I think, but.
0: Yeah. Before you start, I wrote down some things this week that I wanted to mention, so I didn't forget. Okay. Um, Two of them relate to the catfish episode. Oh boy. So I, listening back to it, we very briefly mentioned the town of GAD, G-A-D. But I wanted to add a little more detail to that in case there were some listeners that aren't familiar with this area that know the okay. story of Gad.
2: Right.
0: Just a little overview. So Gad was actually the town that is now underneath the lake. So we have Somersville as a town.
1: There's a town <laughs> under the lake? Yeah, so
0: you didn't know. No. And I, I didn't even think to mention it until I went back and listened to our episode. I was like, oh, some people might not know that story. But Gad was a separate town from Somersville and they flooded it to make Somersville Lake. So there's parts of it where if you go down into the lake like scuba diving and stuff, mm-hmm. you can see pieces of where the road used to be. Like the pavement's still down Are there.
1: Are there buildings or anything?
0: I don't know at this point. They've probably, you know, deteriorated or eroded or whatever, but you can definitely find some stuff of remnants of the town of Gad, but they couldn't name it Gad okay. Dam and it became Somersville Dam. So I wanted to throw that out there in case anyone didn't know that story, because that's kind of crazy. And then also related to that catfish episode, the next day I went to the gym and there's like TVs up in the gym I go to and Jeopardy was playing. And one of the questions on Jeopardy, the answer was me calling catfish. Nice. Yeah. And I only knew that from your episode. Yeah. Yep. That's all.
1: (laughs) We're just, this podcast is all about training people for Jeopardy trivia whenever it's on. so Helped. Um. No, so so we've got mass hysteria today. And this goes along with what the first episode was, which is the Gloria Ramirez. Right. remember they did their investigation and those two doctors that they had first said, this is just mass hysteria. All these women are crazy and they're... Terrible to, theory. Nothing to see here. Terrible. I, I've seen some stuff on that since that like, basically, they just say, well, it's it was the government's, like, the government of California, they're trying to pressure them just to put out this thing so people will calm down about it because it was so weird. Mm-hmm. And they just, they were pressured into basically, like, putting out this thing. So, like, just come up with a solution so that we can move past it all because there's no point. And so, which also, I guess, kind of lead. Leads to where people come up with the conspiracies that like all the government's pressuring them into coming up with a solution so right. that they can keep their math lab under the hospital. <laughs> whatever. Anyway, um, do you have anything else to mention before we get started?
0: Um, just a quick thank you to all the people that have been listening and giving us feedback, what they think. I have a lot of uh, family members and a lot of friends that have been listening and letting us know what they think about it. So I really appreciate all that.
1: Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of that too. Mm-hmm. So it's been it's been fun. So
0: Yeah, I'm enjoying I, it.
1: And really I just I just do it so I can have coffee on <laughs> Mondays.
0: Yeah, coffee and tea.
1: Anyway, back to this. We've got mass hysteria. So I'm gonna start just by giving you the definition just so just so we're all on the same page. Right. This is what the like a textbook definition for mass hysteria? It's also called uh, mass psychogenic illness. Um, and mass psychogenic illness, also called MPI, um, it's also called mass sociogenic illness, mass psychogenic disorder, epidemic hysteria. All of those names are are in there. So at some point they might be used interchangeably. But okay. anyway. This uh, mass psychogenic illness involves the spread of illness symptoms through a population where there is no infectious agent responsible for the contagion. It is the rapid spread of illness signs and symptoms affecting members of a cohesive group originating from a nervous system disturbance involving excitation, loss, or alteration of function, whereby physical complaints that are exhibited unconsciously have no corresponding organic cause that are known. So...
0: Oh right. That's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot.
1: That's that's kind of where you get like the uh, the Gloria Ramirez case because yeah. They don't know what's going on. It kind of spread rapidly through all of those people in the hospital and then you know, you they're just gonna call it mass psychogenic illness and in put put in their report basically. So I will say that there's not there's not a ton of historical record evidence for a lot of these cases. Um, i I'm just on the broader subject. I'm going through a lot of the stuff that we're talking about from like the middle ages forward. Right. So a lot of this comes just from like authors of the time that are talking about events that are going on. So there's not necessarily like big widespread records keeping for any of this, just basically what we have on books and historical record from, like a certain point in time from the Middle Ages. did
0: any of the records get lost in a courthouse fire or a hospital fire?
1: Not that I'm aware of.
0: The first time in history that (laughs) the records haven't been lost in a mysterious fire.
1: I think more so the historic records were lost because the majority of the population didn't know how to read or write.
2: Oh, sad. So this is
1: the Middle Ages. But anyway, um, so I'm going to start with uh, what I could find was one of the earlier cases of this mass hysteria. Um, And this comes from Historia. Um, One of the odder accounts is about a seemingly contagious bout of meowing like a cat at a convent in France. The first person to document the episode was German physician and writer Justice Friedrich Karl Hecker, which is an excellent last name, just by the way. Um, And all the other accounts of this event seemed to stem from his his writing. Um, so he wrote a book in 1844 called The Epidemics of the Middle Ages. And in that book, he writes, quote, I have read in a good medical work that a nun in a very large convent in France began to mew like a cat. Shortly afterwards, other nuns also mewed. At last, all the nuns mewed together. Every day at a certain time for several hours together, the whole surrounding Christian neighborhood heard with equal chagrin and astonishment this daily cat concert
0: that is strange
1: its very strange <laughs> also we're going to see a recurrence of nuns and and we'll get into why but um that's is one of the odder kind of cases yeah one of one of the odder cases of this which by all means, like, all, all of them are decently odd. Right. I kind of, kind of cherry-picked some ones that were pretty, pretty strange. But anyway, um, eventually, probably prodded by complaining convent neighbors, uh, police placed a bunch of soldiers at the convent's entrance. The nuns were told the soldiers had rods and would continue whipping them until they promised not to mew anymore, which apparently did the trick.
0: That's sad.
1: Now... This is pretty bizarre to us, but the context of the times kind of matters. Um, As American medical sociologist Robert Bartholomew pointed out, (laughs) once upon a time, many people believed in and terribly feared demons and possession, including possession by animals as familiars. Cats still are a receptacle for our superstitions, Imagine how potent that fear might have been in the Middle Ages. Bartholomew and author Simon Wesley shed other light as well on the emotional and spiritual deprivation these early nuns suffered. Many were sent by their families to the convent rather than answering a call to serve Jesus. And they write, uh, Young girls typically were coerced by elders into joining these socially isolating religious orders, practicing rigid discipline in confined all-female living quarters. Their plight included forced vows of chastity and poverty, many endured bland near-starvation diets, repetitious prayer rituals, lengthy fasting intervals, and punishment for even minor transgressions included flogging and incarceration.
0: That sounds pretty horrible all the way around.
1: It is, yeah. So when we get into some of these cases of nuns, they're, they have extremely stressful lives Right. They didn't necessarily choose, so that might be one of the causes for why some of these cases came about, especially in convents.
0: Right? And was that guy kind of saying that like people were already a little suspicious or of cats, and then now you have all these nuns meowing, so that made it worse?
1: Yeah, so because
0: like every, them all meowing is weird enough to begin with, but then you add in the context that. Cats could be familiars, and people were scared of that
1: yeah, so they're basically the the context in the times is is that you've got you've got people that are worried about demonic possession right witchcraft, which at this point in history um the the witchcraft wasn't like as big of a thing but or at least not not called that, and, and we'll get into that a little bit later in the show, but the When they start meowing and stuff, it's like, okay, well, we know that animals can be possessed and maybe somebody could possess somebody as a familiar and then that's a problem. So now they're like, okay, well, all these religious figures, these nuns are meowing and that means they're possessed. So what's going to (laughs) happen to me? Who's not like a spooky? Yeah. Yeah. So also, I guess kind of the reason why like all of like the movies about nuns and Catholic priests being possessed is especially creepy. Not just like. Little yeah. girl dolls like Annabelle, but
0: have you, you know, seen the movie The Nun that's a part of that conjuring universe?
1: I don't think so. It is so scary. <laughs> so I think
0: they're making a second one. Are they? I think so.
1: That'd be pretty cool. Could
0: be wrong, but I feel like I saw a poster or something for it. Yeah. That movie was really scary. But good. um
1: anyway, the case of the Meowing Nuns is one of the many historical accounts of sisters behaving in remarkable ways. There is also Biting nuns, barking nuns, profanity spewing, rolling around in the muck, naked nuns. You kind of get the idea.
0: In different places, different, different cases. Different
1: places. Yeah. Wow. Not not all in that one convent. Right. <laughs> so um so oh like I said, this is kind of like a a list of different accounts. So we'll be kind of jumping around a little bit, but um, according to an account, which was written by an author in 1784, there's a nun who lived in a German convent in the 15th century and began to bite her companions, and the behavior soon spread through other convents in Germany, Holland, and Italy. So, there's the biting nuns. Um, MPI, the Mass Psychogenic Illness, is distinct from other types of collective delusions by involving physical symptoms. Uh, So it's not necessarily just, like, overwhelming collective anxiety. It might make you do other things, like, obviously, meow or bite, or we'll get into the dancing later on. So Um, it's not well understood, and the causes are uncertain, but the qualities of these outbreaks can include, I guess this is, like, the part where it's, like, included... Not not uh, like non-exclusive characteristics of this, but mm-hmm. like included and up to oh, right. <laughs> all of these things. So, um, but are included and not limited by yeah. these things. So uh, these qualities include uh, symptoms that have no plausible organic basis, symptoms that are transient and benign, symptoms with rapid onset and recovery, occurrence in a segregated group the presence of extraordinary anxiety, symptoms that are spread via sight, sound, or oral communication, a spread that moves down the age scale, beginning with older or higher status people, a preponderance of female participants. Also, one of the reasons they chose that for the Gloria Ramirez case. Right. Um, British psychiatrist Simon Wesley distinguishes between two forms of MPI. There's mass anxiety hysteria and mass motor hysteria. So you want to take a guess at what the difference between those is?
0: Is the mass motor one, the behaviors, meowing, barking, things like that?
1: Yeah, pretty much. So mass anxiety hysteria consists of episodes of acute anxiety occurring mainly in school children. Uh, Prior tension is absent and the rapid spread is by visual contact. And the motor hysteria consists of abnormalities in motor behavior. It occurs in any age group and prior tension is present. Initial cases can be identified and the spread is gradual. So it might be like a prolonged outbreak. So this definition isn't really like rock solid. Um, Some people hold to these two categories and some people kind of go away from this. It's not really like a... Super highly accepted, kind of grouping, but it works for the purposes of this show, which is why I mentioned. it. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so um, most of these cases, like I said, they're going to fall into these two categories. Um, the the DSM four does not have specific diagnosis for the condition. But the text describing conversion disorder states that in epidemic hysteria, shared symptoms develop in a circumscribed group of people following exposure to a common precipitant. Um, So just to be clear, when we talk about this, there are cases where people have symptoms of anxiety and fear, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, And the symptoms, like we're about to talk about, involve the involuntary motions like the meowing nuns. So, just. keep that in mind. We're going to get into a few different categories of this stuff.
0: Okay. We need a flow chart.
1: We probably yeah, I need like
0: <laughs> you need a whiteboard like, in here and draw it out.
1: Yeah, I was I was researching this and I have like the cork board on yeah. the wall with like all the all the lines drawn and like like the Charlie from Always Sunny. Like, yeah. That's ah, that's so. so funny. <laughs> um I'm going to get into probably the most famous case. Um okay. have you heard of the dancing plague of 1518?
0: Yes, this is such a good story. Yeah. Crazy. So
1: before I tell you about the dancing plague of 1518, I'm going to tell you about dance mania. Okay. So this is th- this whole condition like this is going to be like a big bulk part of of this particular episode because it's it's very interesting. There's a lot of information on it, but Um, the, the term dancing mania was termed by Paracelsus, and the condition was initially considered a curse sent by a saint, usually Saint, John the Baptist, or Saint Vitus, and was therefore known as Saint Vitus's dance or Saint John's dance.
0: Do saints usually send curses?
1: I think at the time it was thought that they would, if you weren't being, like, good enough servants or whatever, so, Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, I y- y- you asked me a question. I totally lost my spot. I need like a <laughs> highlighter for my tablet. My bad. <laughs> um. So, victims of dancing mania often ended their processions at places dedicated to that saint, who was prayed to in an effort to end the dancing. Incidents often broke out at around the same time of the feast of Saint Vitus. So, and there are cases where they start or end at a place dedicated to St. Vitus or St. John. So, which, I mean, I'll tell you about these here just a little bit. So, um, the, uh, this stems from a case of dancing, dancing mania that has happened all over, which is not something that I realized when I first started. I thought the 1518 thing was just like a, like a one-time thing, which is why it's so weird. Happened all over the place. Really? The, earliest that I could find was the seventh century. Um, the only possible record of this is from a paywalled book on Oxford. So I can't find anything that's like has the actual first case mentioned. Um, basically it was just like a book. This guy talks about this stuff. Supposedly it starts in the seventh century. Okay. Can't actually find that written anywhere (laughs) and I'm not going to pay $40 to Oxford just so I can read that. Right. Um, The earliest case I can find is from the 1020s in Bernburg, where 18 peasants began singing and dancing around a church, disturbing a Christmas Eve service, and further outbreaks occurred during the 13th century, including one in 1237, in which a large group of children traveled from Erfurt to Arnstadt, which is about 12 miles They were jumping and dancing all the way, similarly to the legend of the Pied Piper of Hamelin, Mm -hmm. a legend that originated around the same time. Uh, Another incident occurred in 1278, and it involved about 200 people dancing on a bridge over the River Meuse, resulting in its collapse. Many of the survivors were restored to full health at a nearby chapel dedicated to St. Vitus. And the first major outbreak of the mania occurred between 1373 and 1374, with incidents reported in England, Germany, and the Netherlands. On June 24, 1374, one of the biggest outbreaks began in Aachen, uh, which is, I believe is in modern-day Germany, uh, before spreading to other places such as Cologne, Flanders, Franconia, Hainaut, Metz, Strasbourg, Tongeren, and Utrecht. There's a lot of European names that are hard to pronounce all at once. So say that five times fast.
0: I don't think I can say one fast. Um, (laughs) I don't know what you just said.
1: (laughs) So also spread to regions and countries such as Italy and Luxembourg. Uh, Further episodes occurred in 1375 and 1376 with incidents in France, Germany, and the Netherlands. And in 1381, there was an outbreak in Augsburg. Further incidents occurred in 1418 in Strasbourg where people fasted for days and the outbreak was possibly caused by exhaustion. So mm. they they all fasted, and then that stress led them to dance, I dance? guess. Yeah, I've never been, like, so hungry that I was like, I'm going to dance.
0: No. That-
1: so usually I just get, like, really upset and yeah. cranky. just
0: get mad. Uh, I've never yeah. wanted to dance on end.
1: Yeah, just, like, instead, like... The complete opposite happens. Yeah. Like, usually, like, I get hangry. I don't want to dance. No. Like, in fact, if I see somebody dancing, it makes me mad that they're having a good time and I'm hungry. So.
0: <laughs> like, everything, like, just makes yeah. you mad. Everything's so much worse if you're hungry and tired.
1: Yeah, for real. So, anyway, um, another outbreak in 1428 in Skaffhausen, a monk danced to death in the same year a group of women in Zurich were reportedly in a dancing frenzy. Um, another of the most extensive outbreaks occurred in July of 1518 in Strasbourg, which is the plague that we're about to talk about, where a woman began dancing in the street and between 50 and 400 people joined her. So.
0: Between 50 and 400.
1: Yeah, it's not A
0: pretty big range, yeah. right?
1: <laughs> not super clear, but...
0: Big difference between yeah. fifty and four hundred, but either way, yep. a large group of people.
1: Um, I'm I'm going to get into it. I promise. So <laughs> okay, there are some records surrounding this, but
0: okay, I'm wondering if some of these, like the one that had two hundred people dancing on the bridge that collapsed and the kids that were dancing, I'm wonder- wondering, like just out of curiosity, if there was something they were celebrating before these things happened, like if it was a holiday or if something just really cool happened in the town and people were dancing and then it just got carried away with the amount of people on the bridge that made it collapse, or if that was totally random dancing that began.
1: It's they they don't really say. Right. So I'm kind of unsure. Yeah. I
0: But then you have the one like the dude that danced himself to death. That's pretty extreme. So, yeah. you're just wondering what the cause is, which I'm sure yeah. we're going to get into. I think,
1: I think he was the first actual listen of Michael Jackson's Thriller. <laughs> so, that just That'll do it. in him and danced himself to death. Um, so, all of that build up. Right. Here's the plague of 1518, oh, the dancing this one, plague. This
0: one's crazy.
1: So, the dance plague of 1518, or dance epidemic of 1518 was caused sorry let me back up it was a case of dancing mania that occurred in Strasbourg Alsace which is modern day France in the Holy Roman Empire from July 1518 to September of 1518 where between 50 and 400 people took to dancing for weeks there are many theories behind the phenomenon the most popular being stress induced mass hysteria suggested by John Waller. Other theories include ERGOT, which we'll get into a little bit later, um, and there's some religious explanations. There's even controversy concerning the number of deaths. So, the outbreak began in July of 1518, when a woman by the name of Frau Trophy began to dance fervently in a street in Strasbourg. I don't really know what the context for dancing fervently is, in like 1518 but it seems like a really seems like it would be a pretty conservative time so like any kind of like gyration would they would be like whoa look at whoa watch out for for frau trophy over there she's just throwing it back like, oh
0: my gosh yeah yeah probably any amount of dancing was out of the or out of the norm yeah
1: so anyway uh trophy kept up this constant dancing for a week straight Soon, three dozen others joined in the dancing chaos. In August of the same year, the dancing plague had claimed four hundred victims. Uh, that's not deaths; so that's just people dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, they they call it victims for because I guess you're you have no of control. The dance. Yeah, you're just like a like all the zombies in the thriller video. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs>
0: I'm gonna keep bringing it back to that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, dancers were beginning to collapse and it said even some died to stroke or heart attack. Uh, no one knew what was causing this reaction, which meant no one understood how to remedy the situation either. And by early September, the outbreak began to subside. Um, as the dancers were sent to a mountain shrine to pay, to pray for absolution. So they go to this religious place and pray and you'll be cured of the dancing. And I guess that worked. So Um, Historical documents, including physicians' notes, cathedral sermons, local and regional chronicles, and even notes issued by the Strasbourg City Council are clear that people danced, but it's not known exactly why. Um, Historical sources agree that there was an outbreak of dancing after a single woman started dancing, and it didn't seem to die down until September, Um, and it lasted for such a long time that it even attracted the attention of the authorities until the council gave up authority to the physicians who they you want to take a guess at what what their official prescription was for how to cure your dancing to pray no they said just dance yourselves free of it <laughs> just It's like...
0: Just don't be sad. Just be happy.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's like the walk it off
0: version
1: of like dancing mania. Dance it out. (laughs) Um, There are claims that the guild halls were refurbished to accommodate the dancing, as well as musicians and strong people to help keep those dealing with the dancing mania to stay upright. Uh, This actually backfired. Who would have (laughs) guessed? Um, The council was forced to ban public dancing as people danced in fear. It was a punishment from St. Vitus and to be free of sin. Many joined in on the dancing epidemic. The council went as far as to ban music as well. Uh, Those who danced were then ordered to go to the shrine of St. Vitus. They wore red shoes that were sprinkled with holy water and had painted crosses on the tops and the soles. They also had to hold small crosses in their hands and incense in Latin incantations were part of this ritual. There for uh,
0: just a second, it sounded like the plot of Footloose. <laughs> no music, no dancing. <laughs> but then, you know, yeah. it took a turn. So <laughs>
1: um, so apparently, uh, the like, quote, forgiven by Vitus, end quote, word was spread of a successful ritual and the dancing plague had ended. Um, controversy exists over whether people ultimately dance to their deaths. Some sources claim that for a period, the plague killed around 15 people per day, but the sources of the city of Strasbourg at the time of the events did not mention the number of deaths, or even if there were any fatalities. There did not appear to be any sources related to the events that make note of any fatalities. And the main source for that claim is John Waller, who had written several journal articles on the subject and the book, A Time to Dance, A Time to Die, The Extraordinary Story of the Dancing Plague of 1518. So this guy just made it up, I guess. <laughs> like, no, he wrote the book. Yeah. And none of the historical records say anything about anybody dying. And yeah. he's like, yeah, 15 people per day. That's crazy, right? Yeah. Okay, whatever. So he made it up. Um, that's what I'm saying. It's official here. So... Uh, The sources cited by Waller that mentioned deaths were all from later accounts of the events. So, again, he just made it up. Yeah. Like, no actual records of this. Um, There's also uncertainty around the identity of the initial dancer, either an unnamed woman or that lady Frau Trophy. The number of dancers involved, somewhere between 50 and 400, of the six chronicle accounts four support, Lady Trophy is the first dancer. So, um, I'll get into some of the causes. Um, some believe the dancing could have been brought on by food poisoning caused by the toxic and psychoactive chemical products of ergot fungi, uh, which is ergotism. If you Mm -hmm. get the, like ergot poisoning, um, and it grows commonly on grains such as rye. It's used for breaking, baking bread.
0: Was that one of the theories behind all the witch trial stuff?
1: Um, Going to also get into that. I thought that sounded familiar,
0: but I wasn't positive.
1: Yeah. So, um, the ergotamine is the main psychoactive psychoactive product of ergot fungi. It's structurally related to the drug lysergic acid diethylamide, LSD, Um, and that's actually the substance that LSD was originally synthesized from. And the same fungus has also been implicated in. Major historical anomalies, including the Salem witch trials
0: nice so I, I thought I had heard that before that everybody was basically hallucinating, <laughs> just kind of out of their minds
1: from yeah the bad i'll we. I'll touch on that here in a little bit whenever I get to it, but okay. basically yeah the, <laughs> the,
0: well, that's unfortunate
1: the thing is that um the the theory for ergot doesn't really makes any sense, because it's unlikely that the people that got poisoned by ergot could have danced for days at a time, and nor would so many people have reacted to the psychotropic chemicals in the same way. The ergotism theory also fails to explain why almost every outbreak occurred somewhere along the Rhine and Moselle rivers, areas linked by water but with quite different climates and crops. So, um... It could have been stress-induced mass psychosis, which, given all occurred during the Middle Ages and the medieval period, was a time of plagues and sicknesses and unpredictable crops and economies. You kind of get the idea there. I, I also remember I said that um, they, they refurbished a lot of these places for right. people to dance, and they had uh, people with instruments come in and like play music and stuff, and that totally backfired. Well, I did my research. Mm -hmm. I found an actual, uh, it's what the composition was of the music that they were playing. Oh, cool. And I found a MIDI file that I plugged into Pro Tools. Mm
0: -hmm. And I
1: have the actual music.
0: Oh my gosh, that's cool. To play for you. Yay. This is the
1: music that everybody was dancing to. Stop. Get out of
0: here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know That's what to new. say to that. <laughs> I slow. was really excited. <laughs> You got
1: me. <laughs> I I thought of that joke today, and I made that on my computer today in about an hour.
0: That's really funny.
1: So, really, I put a lot of work into it, so just so I could get a good laugh.
0: Good job. So, good job.
1: <laughs> anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that like a good joke. Yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> I was so impressed with your research. I was like really thinking in my head that that was pretty amazing that you had found this piece and you got me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, the middle ages was a time when religion was incredibly important to everybody. um, And that kind of helps explain things to people that, uh, Th- that couldn't really understand some of the stuff that was going on. So um, one story that illustrates that point comes from Kolbig, Germany in 1021. Uh, it was Christmas Eve, and 18 individuals had been overcome with dancing. They caused such a disturbance that the priest was unable to go through with a mass. Because of their disturbance, the priest allegedly cursed the individuals to dance continuously for a whole year as punishment. And according to that story, the individuals who were caught up in a ring of dance sin did not stop dancing until the following Christmas. And allegedly, after the people stopped dancing, they were exhausted and begged for forgiveness. And after that, they fell asleep, and some never woke up.
0: Well, that's a little far-fetched. Yeah, so... <laughs> to put it lightly. <laughs>
1: those details are probably not true.
0: You danced, they danced for a year,
1: yeah, it's un- okay. unlikely that they maybe they had the music. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, maybe they had like a sick EDM trap beat behind their dancing for a year. You, know, oh, okay. you never know. Uh, it's unlikely true, most of those details. But there is a lot of knowledge to gain from that story and many others like it that exist. So up until 1518, it was believed by most that the job of curing those who suffered from a dancing plague belonged to the church alone, and that insinuates for a long period of time this plague was not even considered to have been a medical condition or issue, but instead was a divine punishment. And further evidence from that comes from the linguistics of the medieval Ages, uh In writings from these times, the word "plague" is not used to describe the epidemics instead they're referred to as curses, so mm-hmm. just like the the black plague, they never called it a plague back then; it was called a curse, and they all referred to it as curses and it was a big deal for the church mm-hmm. to try to you know keep this keep this thing from spreading through towns and right. unfortunately they you know they can't just like pray the germs away, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, uh, further incidents of dance mania occurred during the 16th century when the mania was at its peak in 1536 in Basel involving a group of children and in 1551 in Anhalt involving just one man, which, like, whatever, like, (laughs) who... (laughs) Just like one guy, and you know he's like he's like I'm going to start dancing. Everybody's going to join in, right? And dance with me, and no one did. And so oh, like, and he
0: had to commit.
1: Yeah, you got to commit. You can't you just can't dance, dance for like an hour and be like well, no one's joining in. Like you got to really keep it up. It's embarrassing. So yeah, embarrassing. <laughs>
0: but, oh, look at take a look at this guy. Look at
1: Joffrey over there. <laughs> real, real weirdo. Uh-huh. <laughs> in the 17th century, incidents of recurrent dancing were recorded by Professor of medicine Gregor Horst, who noted several women who annually visit the chapel of St. Vitus in Dreffelhausen dance madly all day and all night until they collapse in ecstasy. In this way they come to themselves again and feel little or nothing until the next May, when they are again forced around Saint Vitus's day to betake themselves to that place One of these women is said to have danced every year for the past 20 years and another for a full 32. It's a real pick-me, girls, if you ask me. (laughs) Dancing mania appears to have completely died out by the mid-17th century, according to John Waller. Although numerous incidents were recorded, the best documented cases are the outbreaks of 1374 and 1518, and there's a bunch of contemporary evidence for those. So, waiting on your response for my dance mania topic before we get into the witch trials.
0: I am still unclear on what the cause would have been. Like, not a curse.
1: Oh, it's a curse.
0: <laughs> Do you think it was the, the mold in the food or the fungus in the food making people go crazy? No. And then, like, details got a little embellished?
1: no like like i said the it's unlikely that it would occur the same way in all these climates and with oh, different yeah, crops oh yeah that's true you're right and also it's it's not very likely that they would everybody would react the same way to the yeah. psychotropic qualities of ergot so, so and also ergot poisoning actually like you bad things happen to you when you get poisoned by ergot. So right. it's, you wouldn't dance. be able to dance for that long.
0: Mm-hmm. So. so what do you think is the cause?
1: Um, Well, again, it's just not super clear. We don't I, know. Yeah, I still... Weird! I people still don't really know what it is. Yeah, that's um, weird. The bigger thing, though, is that, like, being at this time, they just think it's a curse. Mm-hmm. And since it dies out so much before... All of the like medical advances into the last couple of centuries, where you know they finally found out that germs exist. Well, (laughs) you know, that it's they would you'll probably just never find out what actually causes that. And I I haven't heard of anything ever happening within the last 200 years. Yeah, that
0: that was my next question was if there had been any dance mania plagues recently or not relatively that I'm
1: aware of. And I would assume that you would probably see. Something like, oh, there's the, the dancing plague of the Civil War. Right. Or something like, I don't know. They, all the soldiers met up on the battlefield and had a twerk-off or something. I don't
0: know. <laughs> Maybe it was a curse then. Maybe. Mm. That's kind of scary.
1: Speaking of curses, <laughs> there are two types of witch trials. Did you know that? I don't think so. Well, there's two types. There's the witch trials of the early modern period from 1450 to 1750, and primarily from 1580 to 1630. And the Salem witch trials from 1692 to 1693. But we'll get back to both of those in a minute. Um, I want to touch on some of the widespread bouts of anxiety before we actually really get into the witch trials. Because okay. they're semi-related. So, uh the first one I found was the Irish Fright, which occurred in 1688 during what's called the Glorious Revolution, and it was the name given to uh given in 1689 to describe the events that led up to the deposition of James II and the 7th in Ireland and Scotland. Um so just so we're all on the same page, that's the same guy. Uh James 2 and James 7, same dude. Uh he was James II in England and Ireland, and he was number seven in Scotland. So why is that? Do you want to take a guess?
0: Uh, because there were six Jameses before him in Scotland.
1: And pretty much, yeah. So <laughs> I didn't understand that. I was like, why is he the same guy but <laughs> like has two different numbers?
0: That was totally a guess
1: Yeah. On so my part just now. I got in touch with uh, Professor Keith Lilly of Concord University. Uh, and he gave me some information on this guy. Uh, it was two different numbers because he was the heir to be king from two different lineages. So he was in Ireland and England. He was James II. Mm-hmm. And then when his time came to be king of Scotland from his other lineage, uh, well, there had already been some other Jameses. Mm-hmm. So now he's James the Seventh, And for whatever reason, you can't just be James II again.
0: Because there's already been a James the Second.
1: Yeah, but that that would have been four hundred years before him. So whatever. Anyway, um, basically the problem with him, they didn't like him because he was Catholic, and they were all Protestants. And there was a bunch of tyrannical government stuff going on. That's kind of outside the scope of this episode. But just so you have the historical context, that's what was going on. That's why they wanted rid of him
0: in Ireland.
1: Yeah. Okay. So um there's rumors that irish soldiers were burning and massacring english towns and that caused panic in at least 19 counties prompting residents to arm themselves and prepare to fight off as it turns out non-existent hordes of pillaging irishmen so good so the non-existent hordes uh, yeah so there's also uh the great fear uh which was a general panic that took place between 22 of july to 6 of august In 1789, at the start of the French Revolution, uh, this was fueled by rumors of aristocrats uh, or fueled of rumors of the aristocrats' possessive famine plots uh, to starve or burn out the population both peasants and townspeople mobilized in many regions. In response to those rumors, fearful peasants armed themselves in in self-defense and in some areas attacked manor houses. The content of the rumors differed from region to region. In some areas, it was believed that a foreign force was burning the crops in fields, and in other areas, it was believed that robbers were burning buildings. Fear of the peasant revolt was a contributing factor to the abolition of seignorialism in France, although um, that's not really like the the big main cause. Mm-hmm. Um, but the abolition of seignorialism in France was... Uh, done through the the August decrees, so just well, your little history lesson for the day.
0: Nice. So the thinking about this, the mass anxiety thing. Would you consider Y two K to be a mass anxiety thing? What What's the right term for it?
1: Um, yeah, mass anxiety. Um, there's. And everybody uh, got
0: scared that the computers were gonna in the world or something.
1: Yeah, and that. That's probably one of them, mm-hmm. but um, and there I mean, there were some cults and stuff that came up surrounding that too, didn't weren't they? but yeah, um, so
0: th- that seems like stuff that still does happen more recently y- in yes. modern times
1: yeah, and I'll get on into some modern ones because we're kind of just like going through history for now, yeah. but um and i I didn't actually mention y2 k, but now that you mention it, yeah, that is probably one of the more recent. Kind of cases of yeah. really big mass anxiety, mm-hmm. uh we might have to do an episode on that by itself because I'm not even sure if that was like if that was just United States or like English speaking country kind of thing, or if that was everywhere, but
0: I don't know enough about it to say one way or the other, but yeah, we could do probably look into that a little bit more, yeah,
1: which it kind of we sucks that
0: really young when that happened, so yeah, I don't think too much about
1: it kind of sucks that the world would end in China first. Before it got to, like, England. So, because of... The the time zones? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, in 1749, there was an outbreak of screaming, squirming, and trance in a nunnery that led to the execution of a suspected witch.
0: Oh, sad.
1: Witch brings me back to the witch trials. (laughs) This is very exciting. (laughs) We, and honestly, before I get into it, the... I'm not going into major super detail on some of this stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. Because this could be a series on its own. Yeah.
1: I mean, and like really a series because there's multiple different kinds of witch trials and each of them probably deserves their own episodes. Yes. So
0: maybe we can do that sometime.
1: We should. Yeah. Anyway, like I said, um, the first one we're going to talk about is the witch trials in the early modern period. And this was from 1450 to 1750. And it was especially prevalent from 1580 to 1630. And in the early modern period, witch trials were seen between 1400 and 1782, where around 40,000 to 60,000 were killed due to suspicion that they were practicing witchcraft.
0: That's so sad.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you could fill up like a baseball stadium with the amount of people they killed.
0: Yeah. And like, we know that a lot of these people were not doing witchcraft. They were just accused.
1: I bet most of them were.
0: (laughs) They Um, were not.
1: I bet they were. Um, These trials occurred primarily in Europe and were particularly severe in some parts of the Holy Roman Empire. Some witch hunts would last for years, and some sources estimate 100,000 trials occurred. Uh, Groundwork on the concept of witchcraft, which is a person's collaboration with the devil through the use of magic, was developed by Christian theologians as early as the 13th century. However, prosecutions for the practice of witchcraft would only reach a high point from, like I said, 1560 to 1630, or around about those few decades there. Um, During the Counter-Reformation and the European Wars of Religion, with some regions burning those who were convicted at the stake, of whom roughly 80% were women, and mostly over the age of 40. Uh, there was no concept of demonic witchcraft during the 14th century. Only at a later time did a unified concept combine the ideas of bad magic mm-hmm. um, and a pact with the devil and an assembly of witches for satanic worship into one kind of category for crime. So it's like all of these women over 40 were catching Rico cases before it was cool to write songs about it.
0: Oh. I don't
1: Uh, know what to say to that. Anyway, witch trials were infrequent compared to later centuries, and a significant proportion of them were held in France. Witch trials were still uncommon in the 15th century uh, when the concept of diabolical witchcraft began to emerge. This is where now I'm suddenly remembering my idea to put in that clip from Monty Python and the Holy Grail where they're like, what? Why is she a witch? And they're like, she weighs the same as a duck. And yeah, (laughs) that scene.
0: Yeah, you should have done that.
1: Have you ever seen that? I've seen
0: that scene. I haven't seen the whole
1: movie, though. If, listen, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, or if you have, (laughs) you need to rewatch it, but specifically look up the witch trials scene from that movie. Mm -hmm. And it's Hilarious.
0: Pause the podcast, go watch that scene on YouTube, and then come back.
1: Yeah. Uh, so uh, the period of the European witch trials with the most active phase, which saw the largest number of fatalities, was again 1560 to 1630. And the period between um, 1560 and 1670 saw more than 40,000 deaths. Um, the mass witch trials that took place in southern Catholic Germany in waves between 1560s and the 1620s. Some of those trials went on to continue for years and would result in hundreds of executions of all sexes, ages, and classes. These included the Trier Witch Trials from 1581 to 1593, the Fulda Witch Trials in 1603 to 1606, the Eichstatt Witch Trials from 1613 and 1630, The Wurzburg Witch Trials from 1626 to 1631, and the Bamberg Witch Trials from 1626 to 1631. Lots of dates there, but they're not really the most important. But there was, well, five witch trials that all took place over the course of a bunch of years, and they killed thousands of people who every single one of them is guilty of witchcraft.
0: Stop. You don't know that.
1: I know that they were guilty, because they were found guilty,
0: right? But really guilty,
1: yeah, hundred percent. No one's ever been wrong in a court of law. Fifteen ninety. In fifteen
0: ninety,
1: <laughs> <Hot take. laughs> <laughs> the North Berwick witch trials occurred in Scotland, and were particular note as the King James the sixth became involved himself. So I guess that's actually James the seventh. That's his dad.
0: Do you really know that or are you just saying
1: that? It is either his dad or uncle or uh grandpa or stepdad or somebody. I think according to Keith and he would have to correct me on this, I believe that um I want to say the queen's name at the time was Queen Elizabeth of Scotland and I believe that James the 7th that was his mom. Okay. And so the I it would either be his dad or stepdad whoever was James the 6th and when, yeah, after sense. this happened, James VII <laughs> is now the king and he's Catholic and they don't like him. And then the great fear happens. So there, the Irish fright happens. So just historical context again for this one particular thing. Anyway, so James VI became involved himself. Wait, uh, he, quick
0: question. I might be confused. The, uh, the people in Ireland didn't like him because he was Catholic? Because I thought Ireland was they were mostly Catholic.
1: Am I, am I mixed up a little bit because everywhere didn't like him because at the time uh, there were lots of Protestants around, at least from my reading of this whole situation.
0: Like uh, I was thinking, in Ireland so, they have like all those Catholic churches.
1: Yeah, lots of Catholics. Yeah, um, they all. Um, I believe the majority of the Protestants were.
0: In, were they in like pause like the
1: podcast? Go read Irish Fright. Um, and, and the great, yeah uh, ignore what I'm there. saying. I think,
0: uh, I think um, I'm just mixed up. never mind
1: Because when we, we're going to start talking about this and I'm going to start getting confused on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the Scottish and the Irish and the English, there were lots of Protestants. And at the time this was like, there was a whole big political thing going on. Mm-hmm. They didn't like their King cause he was Catholic.
0: Fair enough. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> they and, didn't and like him.
1: To be fair, I could be completely wrong. Maybe he was a Protestant. They didn't like him cause he was a Protestant. Either way. Catholics and Protestants don't like each other. Right. And any chance we get, we kill each other.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We might be doing a quick correction at the beginning of the next episode.
1: Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, James VI became involved uh, because he developed a fear that witches planned to kill him after he suffered from storms while traveling to Denmark in order to claim his bride, Anne, earlier that year. Returning to Scotland, the king heard of the trials that were occurring in North Berwick and ordered the suspects to be brought to him, he subsequently believed that a nobleman, Francis Stewart, 5th Earl of Bothwell, what a name, uh, was a witch. And after the latter fled in fear of his life, he was outlawed as a traitor. The king subsequently set up a royal commission to hunt down witches in his realm, recommending torture in dealing with suspects. And in 1597, he wrote a book about the menace that witches posed to society entitled, Daemonology.
0: Daemon, not demon.
1: That's what it says. It's the English spelling. D- okay. D A E M. Anology. All right. So, Daemonology. Uh, there was also the Pendle Witch Trials of 1612, and those are some of the most prominent in English history, resulting in the hanging of 10 of the 11 who were tried. Mm. So, there's that. That's, like I said, not going into. The biggest major detail on most of these cases, just the brief overview.
0: Yeah, we could literally spend hours talking about witch trials.
1: So, uh, we're going to get into the Salem Witch Trials. These are a series of hearings and prosecutions of people accused of witchcraft in colonial Massachusetts between February 1692 and May of 1693.
0: These are the ones that most people are probably more familiar with. Yes. We read about it in school and stuff.
1: Yep. Um, More than 200 people were accused. 30 people were found guilty 19 of whom were executed by hanging. There were 14 women and five men. Uh, one other man, Giles Corey, was pressed to death after refusing to enter a plea, and at least five people died in jail. So um, here's, here's the thing. The witch trials, I thought, were a lot bigger than they were. I thought yeah. the Salem witch trials were like they killed like hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They killed like 20. And there's probably at least one of them that was actually a witch. So, I mean, just the law of statistics. Um, But for now, because it deserves its own episode, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: this is all I'm allowing myself to say about witch trials. They deserve their own episode, um, and we really probably should do like a a deep dive to get everything just out there and do all the research on it. Um, I
0: think that when you were talking about Giles Corey, we learned about that when we read the Crucible, right? And that was like um, I didn't read that. <laughs> we, I think you if, were supposed to.
1: If I was supposed to, I promise I didn't. I'd,
0: you you were just there. So that was that. Definitely seemed like a mass anxiety event. Like somebody says they saw a witch, and then everybody starts accusing people of being witches, and they get all worked up yeah. and scared
1: about it. Um. So so this is that's all I'm going to touch on it for now. Yeah. Like I said, we'll it deserves its own <laughs> thing. Both of these things deserve their own episodes. Yeah. Um, what I will say is that one of the theories that's involved in the Salem Witch Trials is the ergot poisoning, which we talked about a little bit ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's a little bit more info, and this comes directly from the USDA and the U.S. Forest Service. Um, so ergot, when made into bread or otherwise ingested, uh, by, like, barley beer or something like that. It causes ergotism, known as St. Anthony's Fire or Devil's Curse. Convulsions, muscle spasms, vomiting, hallucinations, and gangrenous pain where the victim's limbs, fingers, toes, and nose were eaten up oh. by the holy fire that blackened like charcoal. Oh, that's Characterize awful. ergot poisoning. Victims often lost parts of their extremities or entire limbs due to blood vessel constriction associated with gangrenous ergotism. Julius Caesar lost legions of soldiers to ergot poisoning during his campaign in Gaul. Severe ergot epidemics in France between 900 AD and 1300 AD killed between 20,000 to 50,000 people, leaving the nation susceptible to invasions that eventually toppled this Holy Roman Kingdom into what became two nations, France and Germany. The ergot fungus contains a number of highly poisonous and psychoactive alkaloids, including, including lysergic acid, LSD, which was synthesized from the ergot fungus in 1938 by chemist Albert Hoffman. Ergot poisoning is a proposed explanation of bewitchment, Most historians today believe that the witchcraft trials that led to thousands of deaths and burnings at the stake in Europe during the Dark Ages were likely related to outbreaks of ergot poisonings. The unfortunate victims of the Salem witch trials of 1692 also exhibited symptoms of ergot poisoning. Ergotism is rare today due to careful screening of cereal grains.
0: That is pretty gruesome. And yeah, so it causes the hallucinations and all those bad effects. I could see how that would make people think that there was witchcraft happening. And I agree that it does not make sense as an explanation for the dancing plagues. Cause if, if your limbs are falling off,
1: yeah. you're not
0: dancing for extended periods of time.
1: Right. And it's also, people don't react the same to ergot poisoning at all. So yeah. Cause there, you, that was a
0: long list of symptoms.
1: Yeah. So you you, you might have muscle options. spasms without the hallucinations. You might have mm-hmm. just hallucinations. And it's some of the things that people brought up during the witch trials, which Again, not getting into it, but some of the stuff that people brought up was somebody's witching me. That lady over there is bewitching me. I mm-hmm. have visions and, you know, to making my arms move when I don't want them to. And
0: Right. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: So anyway, all of that aside, mm-hmm. because it deserves its own thing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the Hammersmith Ghost Hysteria of 1803.
0: Ooh, I haven't heard of this
1: one. Oh, neither had I until I read it. <laughs> in November of 1803, stories of ghost sightings in the Hammersmith neighborhood of West London began to circulate. Many people assumed the ghost to be that of a recent suicide victim buried in Hammersmith's churchyard, which was in accordance with a popular notion that the time that suicides should not be buried in sacred grounds because their souls would be unable to find a rest there. All witnesses reported the ghost as being very tall, clothed entirely in white, with some adding horns and glassy eyes to the mix. That's scary. As more individuals came forward to claim that they had not only seen the Hammersmith ghost, but had also been assaulted by it, alarm rapidly turned to widespread panic, and finally mass hysteria, fearful residents responded by taking up guns— and monitoring the area, that reaction resulted in one of the member of the public, Francis Smith, shooting and killing the bricklayer Thomas Millwood by mistake, thinking he was the ghost. So now there's two ghosts walking around.
0: Right. <laughs> and so, one of them's mad. <laughs> one of them's
1: really upset, yeah. Oh. So, um, there was also the riding tremor epidemic of 1892, um, the right hand of a 10-year-old girl in grubtins don't know how to pronounce it at all, began trembling, which developed into full-body seizures that spread to 19 other students. A similar epidemic affected 20 in Basel, Switzerland. 12 years later, the Basel School experienced another outbreak that affected 27 students. Legend of the first outbreak was said to have played a role. So, that's... One of the cases where, like I said earlier, this affects a lot of school children. Mm-hmm. So you've got people that are telling a story of like, oh, this, this girl started trembling in her hands and then it, she got seizures. Yeah. And the rumor of that or the legend led to this other outbreak. Listen. At least that's what they think.
0: I can believe that so easily because in my classroom, one kid gets a stomach ache. 15 of them have a stomach ache and they all need to call home too. One of them has a headache. All their neighbors suddenly get a headache as well. Like, children are very susceptible to that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So, um, now, the next topic that I'm going to spend a little bit of time on, this also kind of deserves its own episode,
2: mm-hmm.
1: The War of the Worlds. Have you ever heard of that?
0: Yes. That movie is so good. And I'm, I know what you're going to say. About Not the movie. The radio
1: show. The radio.
0: Yes. Yep. This is crazy.
1: So, The War of the Worlds was a Halloween episode of the radio series um, The Mercury Theater on the Air, directed and narrated by Orson Welles as an adaptation of H.G. Wells' novel, The War of the Worlds, from 1898. It was performed and broadcast live at 8 p.m. Eastern on October 30th, 1938, over the CBS radio network. The episode is famous for inciting a panic by convincing some members of the listening audience that a Martian invasion was taking place, though the scale of the panic is disputed as the program had a relatively few listeners. So imagine that like later on, they're like, yeah, our radio show caused a huge panic. And they're like, no, it didn't because you don't have the ratings. It's like,
0: (laughs) well, I had, I've heard, and I've read that, While they were, you know, doing that radio show, they would pause and take breaks and say, like, you know, this is a story. This isn't real. But if people weren't listening during that, if they tuned in after they made that statement, it seems like some people were convinced, you know, that aliens were invading and got really scared I'll panicked.
1: I'll get into it. (laughs) This is like, have you seen the the clip of, like, I think it's Tyler, the creator. He's like, would you let me Me do what I need to do? Yeah. (laughs) All right announcements that the war of the worlds is a dramatization of a work of fiction were made on the full CBS network at 4 points during the broadcast. Yeah. At the beginning, before the middle break, after the middle break, and at the end. The middle break was delayed 10 minutes to accommodate the dramatic content. Now, another announcement was repeated on the full CBS network at the same evening at 10:30, um 11:30 and midnight. Quote, For those listeners who tuned in to Orson Welles' Mercury Theater on the Air broadcast from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time tonight and did not realize that the program was merely a modernized adaptation of HGUL's famous novel War of the Worlds, we are repeating the fact, which was made clear four times on the program, <laughs> that while the names of some American cities were used, as in all novels and dramatizations, the entire story and all of its incidents were fictitious. Mm-hmm. So. Just in case you missed the entire broadcast <laughs> and missed all of the warnings, here's more warnings. It they didn't wasn't
0: real. Well. Yeah. It's just a story. So. A great story. A scary story. Yeah. Just a story.
1: Um, during the broadcast, a producer took a phone call and came back with, uh, came back pale White because they were ordered to interrupt the show to place an announcement of the fictional content. But this was just before the scheduled break anyway, which occurred as scheduled. Police began to pour into the studio, and a struggle began to interrupt the show. After the broadcast had ended, one of the producers received a phone call from the mayor of a Midwestern town who claimed that mobs of people in the streets were panicking.
0: I could, I could believe it. because I mean, this is kind of related to the Y2K thing about how so many people got panicked about something that didn't yeah. happen. And that still really happens today. Like I mean, we, we turn the news on, people are always freaking out about something. You know, yeah. it's really easy to get people worked up.
1: Um, so so they they interviewed this I think it was this comes from the producer. Um, and he says, quote, the following hours were a nightmare. The building was suddenly <laughs> full of people and in dark blue uniforms, hustled out of the studio, we were locked into a small back office on another floor. Here we sat incommunicado while network employees were busily collecting, destroying, or locking up all the scripts and records of the broadcast. Finally, the press was let loose upon us, ravening for horror. How many deaths had we heard of? Implying that they knew of thousands. What did we know of the fatal stampede in a Jersey hall? Implying it was one of many. What traffic deaths? The ditches must be choked with corpses. The suicides? haven't you heard about the one on Riverside Drive? It's all quite vague in my memory and quite terrible, end quote. So. Man. The media is questioning these people, like, haven't you heard of all this chaos? Implying They've been locked up. There's all of this stuff, and it's like, no, we've been recording a radio show for the last, right, <laughs> like, two hours. So, mm-hmm. like, what are you talking about? We don't know of anything. We didn't plan this. So what's going on? So like,
0: it was just a story.
1: We actually know less than you do. So, Mm -hmm. anyway. People thought the broadcast was real because of a concurrent broadcast of the popular NBC Red Network's popular Chase and Sanborn Hour featuring ventriloquist Edgar Bergen. A study by the Radio Project discovered that less than one-third of frightened listeners understood the invaders to be aliens. Most thought that they were listening to reports of a German invasion or of a natural catastrophe. Quote, people are on edge, end quote. Um, That was uh, by Wells biographer Frank Brady. Um, And he says, quote, for the entire month prior to War of the Worlds, uh, radio had kept the American public alert to the ominous happenings throughout the world. The Munich crisis was at its height for the first time in history the public could tune in to their radios every night and hear boot by boot accusation by accusation threat by threat the rumblings that seemed inevitably leading to a world war
0: mm-hmm. so there was some context of why people were so easily like scared when
1: this happened yeah so um the all of your radios are, are constantly telling you hey there's Bad rumblings in Europe on. We're leading up to a world war. Does that sound kind of familiar? I don't know. Anyway, so they've got, um, they've got the public kind of on edge already. And then this thing shows up and then people are kind of switching back and forth and they think suddenly there's a European invasion of the United States. So, um, historical research suggests the panic was significantly less widespread than newspapers had indicated at the time. Um, quote, the panic and mass hysteria so readily associated with the War of the Worlds did not occur on anything approaching a nationwide dimension, from American University media historian Joseph, uh, or, sorry W. Joseph Campbell, wrote in 2003. Uh, he quoted Robert E. Bartholomew, an authority on mass panic outbreaks, as having said, quote, There is a growing consensus among sociologists that the extent of the panic, dot, 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 was greatly exaggerated, end quote. So, basically, what was going on, they said, was, if you've got a lot of people trying to listen to this one very popular broadcast on NBC, Mm -hmm. they may switch back during the breaks to hear, whoa, there's a German (laughs) invasion going on, and so only like a third of the people who were listening to this and that were scared even understood that there were aliens going on. Like right the everyone was missing the context on that. So
0: mm-hmm. And the press made it worse than it really was.
1: As always, yeah.
0: Yeah. As, that's what I was about to say was as always as the press usual. made it worse than it really was.
1: <laughs> as usual, the media lied to you. So
0: <laughs> shocker. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um in Tokyo, Japan in 1947. Uh, there was a mass uh, mass anxiety outbreak, mass fear. Mm-hmm. Um, this was on May 29th of 1947. The United States Armed Forces Radio Station in Tokyo, uh, WVTR, broadcast a, quote, news bulletin that a 20-foot sea monster was spotted in Tokyo Bay and traveling inland.
2: <laughs> what?
1: So, <laughs> hey, hey, not only are we going to drop two suns on both of your biggest cities, a couple years later, we're going we're gonna to make fun of your sea monsters. Oh, my gosh. Uh, or- by the way, speaking of, we're later going to do an episode on nukes. So Or oh. Project Manhattan and the Oppenheimer guys and stuff like that.
0: Did you watch Oppenheimer yet? No. I, I saw the Barbie movie, and I loved it, and it was amazing. <laughs> I have not seen Oppenheimer.
1: Funnily enough, the Barbie movie... Is brighter than 20 nukes going off all at
0: <laughs> It was so, great. It really was so good.
1: Would, would you like to take a guess at what we're going to get into next?
0: Um, I forgot what the last thing you said was. Oh, we talked. Okay, Tokyo. Uh, Missy Monster.
1: Know. Unrelated, by the way. Okay. To the uh, next can thing I have a hint? Um, it's non-human.
0: Hmm. A cryptid?
1: No, we're going to talk about UFOs. Oh. So, in 1946, there was a case of ghost rockets. Uh, German, British, and Scandinavian intelligence officials concluded that the ghost rockets, which were reported over Scandinavia, are a case of mass hysteria. And there were some other conclusions along with that, but basically, everybody's crazy. You didn't see anything, which is (laughs) usually the intelligence... (laughs) operations kind of blank answer to everything. Mm. Forget what you saw. These are not the droids you've been looking for.
0: Mm. Pay no attention to the rocket over your house.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, There was the flying disc craze of 1947. Um, And this was a rash of unidentified flying object reports in the United States that were publicized in the summer of 1947. The craze began on June 24th when media nationwide reported civilian pilot Kenneth Arnold's story of witnessing disc shaped objects, which headline writers dubbed flying saucers. Such reports quickly spread throughout the United States. Historians would later chronicle at least 800 copycat reports in subsequent weeks, while other sources estimate the reports may have numbered in the thousands.
0: I personally would would believe anyone that told me they saw something weird in the sky, because I myself have seen some weird stuff flying in the sky before. Like what? Remember the... That day that I FaceTimed you and those black things were flying through the sky?
1: Oh, yeah. Should the, I tell that? The Chinese, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Well, let's save that for like one of our minisodes. Like a U- about.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. Save it for mini minisode. Okay. So I would believe anyone that said they saw something weird flying in the sky.
1: Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that during this time, uh, there would have been like a lot of reports of this. I think when you start to get to 800 copycat cases, a <laughs> bunch of them are going to be fake.
0: <laughs> That's fair.
1: Um, it's also, and we're going to get, this also deserves its own episode, just so we're clear. You're also talking about a time when the intelligence agencies in the United States want to keep things under wraps. Right. And so they were actually making false reports that, to try to discredit some of the ones that oh. could have been real.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah,
1: um, here's something you've probably never heard of before. The Roswell incident occurred on the 8th.
0: <laughs> something, something I've never heard of.
1: <laughs> um, And just a few days later, by the 10th, reports of these flying disks had largely subsided. Um, we'll cover the Roswell incident in a future episode, obviously. But for now, I'll just say that there's a number of these conspiracies and explanations surrounding it. And the US Air Force actually released a report in 1994 concluding that the incident was. Excuse me. The incident was the product of a crashed nuclear test surveillance balloon from the highly tippy top secret classified Project Mogul, (laughs) which would be worth talking about and may even get its own special episode later on. Okay. So that's cool. There's that. So for now, in the interest of brevity, that's all I'm allowing myself to say about <laughs> UFOs and aliens. We'll talk about it in the future. So
0: you have done such a good job like coming back to the topic because usually when we start a conversation, you know like how we branch off into a million side quests yeah. and have to circle back around. So good well, job following the line.
1: I wrote my notes because I knew this was gonna happen. Yeah. So I I pre-planned my ADHD moments. Good. Because so. if
0: we, you know, went into each of these, this would literally be a four, if not five hour episode. Oh,
1: we'd be here until like tomorrow morning. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But we will be coming back to these in more detail. (laughs) So focusing on mass hysteria,
1: moving into the fifties, we'll see uh, the Seattle windshield pitting incident, which was a series of reports where people began finding previously unnoticed pits and holes in their windshields in Seattle and surrounding areas of Washington. Um, Residents initially believed there to be a common causative agent, but the rate of pitting had gotten so high that they concluded it to be anything from sand flea eggs to nuclear testing. More and more reports flooded in when this reached the metropolitan area of Seattle, and the public believed it was radio waves emitted by the Jim Creek Naval Radio Station. By the end, 3,000 windshields had been reported effective, affected, and Mayor Alan Pomeroy asked for help from the Washington governor and President Eisenhower. The Washington Crime Lab reported that the windshield pitting was caused by five percent hoodlamism and ninety-five percent public hysteria.
0: Hmm.
1: So it's, Yeah, that that's the actual word that they used. I think. Yeah, I like so. that. Um, it's basically just a textbook case of mass delusion. Not actually the mass hysteria that was originally reported as the cause. And as the media reported more and more on the windshield pitting, it prompted more and more people to inspect their windshields and find the pitting and holes, even though it had been going on for quite some time beforehand. So it's really one of those things where like the media starts reporting on this thing and all of a sudden everyone notices it. Right. So um, throughout the 60s and 70s, we see a couple of laughter epidemics, feigning epidemics, seizures, et cetera which I'm not going to go into major detail about because of the time again. And there's not a ton of info there in the first place. Um, I'll say that the majority is caused by students and the majority affected are teenage girls. So into the nineties, we see the satanic panic, which I'll also probably save for its own episode. Uh, but we start to see people worry about the satanic ritual abuse, including particular cases involving daycare workers and charges that they were abusing children under their care for the purposes of satanic rituals. But moreover, you've probably heard of all the panic over TV shows, movies, video games, music, and all other forms of media, and all of the panic surrounding it that parents are worried their children will either be abused and killed in satanic ritual or join some kind of coven and satanic church because of the media that they're consuming. Right. I actually really remember this because... My mom wouldn't let me or my sister watch Harry Potter when we were kids. Oh,
0: because so. it's like wizards and witches and stuff.
1: Yep, pretty much. So that was the one thing we weren't allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I like I remember watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer on TV. Right. <laughs> so I don't like. What's the difference? Yeah. Anyway, um, there was the Pokemon Panic of
0: 1997. The Pokemon Panic. Oh yeah. What was wrong with Pokemon?
1: Well, would you let me do what I need to do? (laughs) Um, Pokemon Panic in 1997 was an incident in which thousands of Japanese children seemingly had seizures while watching Dino Senshi Porygon, an episode of Pokemon.
0: I have never heard of that.
1: Uh, Porygon is a Pokemon.
0: I mean, this incident I've never
1: heard of. This this particular episode... um, the whenever Pikachu uses his lightning bolt on uh, one of the enemies, there's lots of there's like an explosion and lots of flashing lights. It goes from like red to like a tealish color back and forth, right. and big flashing lights and stuff that caused a lot of children to have seizures because of that. So they took that episode completely off the air. I think you can find it on YouTube. Um,
0: probably. Yeah.
1: So um, just as a side note, be careful.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <So> Watch <we don't, laughs> at your own risk.
1: Yeah. Um, Just in case, yeah. especially if you're Japanese, apparently oh. they're especially affected by that one episode of Pokemon versus everybody else.
0: So. Maybe it didn't play everywhere else.
1: Maybe not. Maybe it really. only
0: played in Japan.
1: Maybe the statistics are skewed. Yeah. Um, in Afghanistan in 2009, uh, there was a spate of apparent poisonings at girls schools across Afghanistan um, and they started to be reported with symptoms, including dizziness, fainting and vomiting. The United Nations, World Health Organization, and NATO's International Security Assistance Force carried out investigations of the incidents over multiple years, but never found any evidence of toxins or poisoning in the hundreds of blood, urine, and water samples they tested. The conclusion of the investigators was that the girls had a mass psychogenic illness. Despite these findings, Afghan officials often blamed the incidents on the Taliban, accusing them of contaminating the school's water supply or using poison gas.
0: Hmm, it's weird.
1: Yeah, so I'm suspicious about this. Mm-hmm. This is going to get like really into like conspiracy, Shane. Okay. But you're literally talking about a time where the United States government and NATO
2: mm-hmm.
1: is doing all kinds of bad stuff in the Middle East, especially Afghanistan. Yeah. Stuff that they're not actually really supposed to be doing. And then they're going to go investigate some of the problems that maybe they caused.
0: Yeah. We investigated ourselves and found, found ourselves. no wrongdoing. Like,
1: yeah. Found no so, wrongdoing. Hmm. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to get into modern conspiracies, but <laughs> yeah. we're going to...
0: It's too current. <laughs> all the
1: conspiracies that we're going to talk about are from before we were born. So that's the limit. But <laughs> maybe, who knows? Um. In Leroy, New York, in 2011-2012, to 2012, 12 high school girls developed Tourette's-like symptoms at their school, um, and they were, the school was tested for toxins, and all other factors for their symptoms were ruled out. The case, and some of the girls and their parents gained national media attention in January 2012, several more students and a 36-year-old adult female came forward with similar symptoms.
0: Real quick, you said we're not going to talk about anything unless it was before we were born and then went into a story from 2012. So you immediately <laughs> canceled and that out.
1: Conspiracies, I mean. <laughs> okay, okay. Conspiracies <laughs> only come from before we were born.
0: Okay. <laughs> That's fair.
1: And then next week's episode is going to be on 9-11. So, um, <laughs> just kidding.
0: Can't, no, we're
1: not so, doing that. Um, anyway, so the 12 of these girls uh, developed... Tourette's-like symptoms, Uh, several more students, and a 36-year-old adult female came forward with similar symptoms. Now, it's one thing for a bunch of teenage girls to get this thing. A 36-year-old woman is like, I'm also having these symptoms. Mm -hmm. Just like I'm so young. Just like these other young girls.
0: Well, maybe they really were sick from something.
1: Nah. Um, They were all diagnosed (laughs) with... so hateful. (laughs) They were all diagnosed with conversion disorder which is sometimes applied to patients who present uh, neurological symptoms mm-hmm. such as numbness, blindness, paralysis, or fits, which are not consistent with well-established organic calls or which the cause um, is significant distress and can be tracked, uh, traced back to psychological trigger. It is thought that these symptoms arise in response to stressful situations affecting a patient's mental health or an ongoing mental health condition such as depression. So, that's it for that. Here's some more modern things that you're probably a little bit more familiar with. Okay. Um Do you remember the Charlie Charlie panic from 2015?
0: That sounds familiar, but I don't know what it is. Uh,
1: so, uh, four teens in Tunja, Colombia were hospitalized, and several in the Dominican Republic were considered possessed by Satan after playing the Charlie Charlie Challenge viral game. That's where you put the... Uh, put yes or no on a piece of paper and put oh, two pencils. Oh, I do
0: remember that. And you
1: ask questions and it'll spin.
0: Yeah, I do not mess and around with that kind of stuff. No, yeah, thank you. So
1: just in case there's, like it is demons. Do
0: not try that at home. Do not do that.
1: So um, you remember the. Forgotten,
0: completely forgotten that that happened. Yeah. Uh,
1: do you remember the clown sightings from 2016?
0: Yes. And when I was working, uh, when I worked at Dollar General while we were still in college, some dude came in there dressed like a clown. In the height of all of that panic. Oh, no. Yes, we were like, get out immediately. Immediately get out of here. You are not shopping today.
1: Um, So there were sightings of people in evil clown costumes in the United States, Canada, and 18 other countries. And this was dismissed as a case of mass hysteria, stating that a fear of clowns, which is common in children and adults, may be an underlying cause.
0: Okay, but with that, people really were dressing up as clowns. Like, yes. walk around. Like, that did happen.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. The website Vox likewise claimed that the great clown panic of 2016 has been per- perpetuated by pretty much everyone except actual clowns. So,
2: yeah,
1: not real clowns, people dressing up as clowns to, to scare people. To scare people, yeah. yeah. And there were all kinds of, like, uh, viral videos that happened. Mm-hmm. And even since then, you can still find it. Like, some of them have been posted even a little recently on yeah. Instagram and stuff where... People just scare people dressed as clowns, but I think it was like especially prominent where people randomly were coming up upon
0: yeah, I'm just like walking clowns. through town, yeah, coming out of the woods and stuff, so, creepy.
1: Which I I could never dress as like a scary clown because I I know that I would like try to like oh, is my makeup okay and look in the mirror and yeah, scare myself scare like oh yeah. no, so, <laughs> um. So there it is. That's that's everything that I made for this episode. Um, good. like I said, cases of mass hysteria happen all over the place yeah. and they happen all the time. Um, and you know, I, I didn't go into too much detail on some of the things because some of them deserve their own episode. Mm-hmm.
0: Cause there's um, a lot more to some of those stories other than just being mass hysteria.
1: Yeah. But for- and there, there's a lot of causes that we can get into. And just yeah. for the sake of time, we're already at like an hour and a half. Yeah. So,
0: no, I think you did a great job. Like some of those things I had never heard of before. And so that's interesting. And I can really easily see how the mass anxiety happens. You know, people just start hearing rumors and start getting scared and stuff. Yeah. I'm st- really curious about the motor ones, the dancing plague, like what caused yeah. that to happen. We'll never know. So that is, you know, really weird because that doesn't really happen anymore. Right. The motor ones, um, but the anxiety ones happen a lot.
1: Yeah. And I, I think. Typically, when people think of mass hysteria, they always think of something like the Dancing Plague, yeah, or something like World War of the Worlds, where
2: everyone went into a panic.
1: Um, The the things like the nuns or the windshield hitting stuff are kind of less often listed when people talk about it, Uh but
0: maybe because um, there's not a good explanation for it.
1: Yeah, and not
0: many details about those.
1: Yeah, and also some of the things that are more recent. I don't think people really regard them as like a mass hysteria thing, probably because they're so recent.
0: Right. Nobody's looking at it and saying, oh, that was just mass hysteria.
1: Yeah. And
0: maybe in the future, we'll look back.
1: Yeah. Probably 50 to a hundred years from now, they will be like, yeah, this is mass hysteria about like the clowns or something. But um, like I said, oftentimes adolescents and minors are more susceptible to the mass hysteria. And there's been some studying as to why Um, the hypothesis is those that are prone to extroversion or neuroticism, or those with low IQ scores are more likely to be affected in an outbreak of hysterical epidemic, has not been consistently supported by research, and there's not necessarily anything rock solid um, as a predisposition to the mass psychogenic illness, but its symptoms can be shown in anyone given the right set of circumstances. Um, Besides the difficulties common to all research involving social science, including a lack of opportunity for controlled experiments, mass sociogenic illness presents special difficulties to researchers in this field, and methods for diagnosing mass hysteria remain contentious. Hmm. So um, due to the role of visual and auditory symptoms in mass psychogenic illness, a link between it and mirror neurons has been suggested. In that context, the mass psychogenic illness appears as the neurological opposite of autism, um, caused by an overactive, not underactive mirror neuron system. So there's one explanation um, that could in turn explain the gender difference bias observed in the two conditions with autism predominantly affecting males, um, and because persons with autism show diminished activity in the mirror neuron system, and mass psychogenic illness predominantly affecting females who appear to have a more sensitive mirror neuron system.
0: That's interesting.
1: So there's some of the science behind it, but neither of us are doctors or psychologists or whatever. So Right. That's all that I'm <laughs> gonna suggest on that. So
0: have you ever been part of like a mass hysteria, mass anxiety event on a smaller scale, like local?
1: No, usually my anxiety and hysteria is just by myself.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Um, one time when I was in elementary school, my entire grade was convinced that Bloody Mary lived in the storage shed behind the playground and we were all terrified to go outside. Huh? <laughs> Someone started the rumor that Bloody Mary lived in the playground storage shed, and my whole grade got scared to go out on the playground.
1: Roger that. Yeah. That's, man. Horrible. (laughs) Yeah, that's no, should have just kept that to yourself. (laughs) And then like the
0: teachers had to, you know, have a big class meeting that Bloody Mary does not live in the storage shed. You're fine. Go outside.
1: (laughs) That's not where she lives. But she exists. And <laughs> yeah. You need to be scared of her. Yeah. No, the, the only thing that I would really say about that, as, as far as like personal experience, would be like, I guess like the clown thing.
0: Yeah, that was that, pretty weird. That was a weird time.
1: That happened when I was in college. Mm-hmm. So you could go out and like you would see people every once in a while dressed as like yeah. a clown.
0: I think it was my sophomore year or your junior year yeah got weird clouds so, everywhere
1: so i don't really know but i mean nothing that was like a big widespread thing you know mm-hmm. so i don't know there um there there's been some some talk about like what would be the the modern equivalent of like like the dancing thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i and i read some stuff like why did that suddenly die out and things like that? But I, I mean it's just, again, it's just not really super clear.
0: Kind of impossible to say
1: why it even showed up or why it died out. Right. So who knows? Creepy but
0: for now. Mm-hmm.
1: That's it. That's I I did a overview of all the stuff. And like I said, we're gonna do a further deep dive on um the witch trials, both of those. Mm-hmm. Um and then maybe one of us could do the medieval ones and one of us could do Salem.
0: Yeah, that would but, be good. We could split it up.
1: Um, and then we'll have to do UFOs as.
0: Yeah. There. Someone requested that.
1: Yeah. Somebody did. So shout out to, I'll have to look in the Facebook comments It was a Facebook comment. And I yeah. can't remember the name, but yeah, we're going to cover that mm-hmm. hopefully sometime soon. So, um, I'll say this. It's, it's actually pretty funny about UFOs that, uh, like, everybody went, like, the old conspiracy used to be that, like, UFOs exist, and now everything in the media, like, currently they're doing hearings in Congress with some of the whistleblowers that are saying that we have, yeah like, UFOs.
0: Now would probably and be a good time for that episode.
1: All of a sudden, all the conspiracies, all the conspiracy theorists are like, yeah, this is just, like, a media psyop to get us all to believe in aliens so they can distract us from something else, and it's <laughs> like, so all the memes are like, conspiracy theorists in 1990, UFOs and aliens are real. Yeah. And conspiracy theorists now No, they're not.
0: All right. I went and checked our Facebook page real quick. I don't know if this person wants their whole name read on the podcast, but shout out to Jordan for requesting UFOs as a topic. Yeah. We'll get to that soon.
1: Shout out Jordan. So we're definitely going to do that. Maybe we'll do that after our Halloween extravaganza.
0: Yeah. I'm so excited for that. Me Big too. plans for October.
1: That's, you know, what. so we have four episodes until then. Because we're doing it weekly, so mm-hmm. or more through, and then
0: in October we'll do one every week. Yeah, the extravaganza. Uh-huh.
1: So, yeah, we decided we're doing all cryptids for October, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
0: I'm excited. So, for my next episode in two weeks, I'm going to talk about Lake Shawnee.
1: I was going to say and I wanted you to do that because so scary. We've, we've got we've been talking about that a lot. Just yeah.
0: So ourselves. I I think that this that episode that topic is kind of. Going from being weird, being creepy, honestly, more towards being scary. So it's going to have a little bit of a different tone, I think, than what we've done so far. Because I just did the briefest amount of research and scared myself and had to stop for a little bit. Oh,
1: really? It is weird. So So that's going to be a little
0: different, I think, than what we've done so far.
1: Yeah. I was going to say that I wanted you to do Lake Shawnee because we've been talking about it. so... And I think you said that your sisters have stories.
0: Yes, and your... your
1: Linda has has, my girlfriend has um, took her daughter there when she was really young.
0: Let's um, just leave it at they had a weird experience. Yeah. I want to save it for the
1: episode. She said that she's got a video that she'll try to find and send me.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to see if my um, sisters will tell their experience, too, because yeah. it's just so bizarre. <laughs> so either have
1: them come fun. here or we'll do like the phone Good thing because we have that capability now, too, but... Yeah. Um it's gonna
0: be good, I think.
1: Yeah, it's scary. and scary. But I was gonna say I wanted you to do Lake Shawnee because I have an Appalachian ghost story that I want to do too. Okay. For the following one. So
0: yeah. I yeah. love the Appalachian topics. Me too. my favorite.
1: Yeah. So and that, that's kind of one of the things I like this podcast was for was that like we can cover all the creepy stuff because we yeah. spend hours just like talking hanging about out and it talking anyway. About this stuff anyway. <laughs> yeah, we're
0: like, we might as well record it and share it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: And then also it's, it's not necessarily like a, like exclusively an Appalachia thing, but.
0: No, we branch out, but.
1: But I mean, clearly.
0: Come back to it. <laughs> given
1: our other episodes, but yeah. we've, I mean, we have those roots and there's all kinds of creepy stories that we could tell. Yeah. Um, that, you know, you, we could spend, there's a few we could even spend like multiple episodes talking about. So. For sure. Definitely. Which I'm sure we'll do some of those in the future too. So yep. anyway, thanks for listening.
0: This is Country Roads Creeps. I don't think we said that yet at the beginning.
1: <laughs> I, I said it when you gave me the bracelet, yeah. Yep. I think so. Got Thank my Olive Garden bracelet. Thank you for listening.
0: See you in two weeks.
1: <laughs> we will see you in two weeks, yeah. Um, and... Do we have anything else? Oh, yeah. If you're driving, <laughs> then um, make sure you're speeding and breaking the wall. Don't do that. And so that you can get away from the not deer watch out for the not deer and be safe please and do your cruise control and make sure that your radio is not like really too loud so that you can still hear sirens if they're behind you make do your seatbelt. um if you have like if you have drinks make sure they're in their cup holder securely um, If you're driving and you have the Chick-fil-A nuggets, (laughs) make sure that you don't hit your brakes too hard because they'll spill over. I've done that before and I almost had a bit. Oh my gosh. Anyway, be safe driving home. Watch out for the not deer. Bye.